Welcome back, friends. Bill Creasy here with Scripture Uncovered. You'll recall on Monday that we examined Jesus' resurrection, drawing primarily from the Gospel according to John. We saw Peter in that story, along with John, running to the tomb, looking inside, and fully understanding, fully comprehending the fact that Jesus had been raised. And Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 at verse 5 that Jesus appeared first to Peter and then to the others. But we haven't seen anything of Peter after Jesus' resurrection. Remember, Peter had denied the Lord. Not once, not twice, three times. And when Jesus was brought out of the home of Caiaphas after his interrogation, and Peter was in the courtyard, Jesus looked directly at Peter as the cock was crowing, and Peter realized what he had done. Why? He was afraid. And as Jesus is being brought out, the gates being opened in the courtyard, Peter dashed through that gate, down the street, collapsed in the bushes, and wept bitterly. Peter cannot forgive himself for what he had done. Well, after the resurrection, Jesus appeared to him, we're told, by Paul. But we don't know what they said. We don't know what Jesus said. We don't know if Peter said anything. But he's conspicuously absent, his voice. He's there in the room when Jesus appears in the upper room with the others. Did he look at Jesus? Did they lock eyes? We don't know. We hear nothing of Peter. So at the end of the story of Jesus' resurrection, Peter is something of a loose end. What do we do with Peter? I think the others worried about him too. Because we read in John chapter 21 that after Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, afterward he appeared up in Galilee. And it happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called Didymus, our doubting Thomas, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, James and John, and two other disciples were there together. So our scene cuts back up to the Sea of Galilee. And we learn that Peter is back home. Huh. Why did he go back home? I suspect that Peter had a profound sense of guilt about failing the Lord. When it came time to stand up, to take a stand, Peter collapsed. Peter denied him. There's nothing in this for me. I, 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 I denied the Lord, and I, I, I'm not worthy of him. And I suspect Peter simply returned home. The others go with it. Afterward, Jesus appeared again up the Sea of Tiberias, Sea of Galilee. And as we noted, Peter, doubting Thomas, 
Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee. Cana is 43 miles west of Galilee. Nathaniel is not a fisherman. The sons of Zebedee, James and John, are. And two disciples, we don't have their names, so we don't know if they're fishermen or not, but they needn't be. It was late at night. The fishermen go out at night. That's when you catch the fish up there on the northern area of the Sea of Galilee, where the upper Jordan flows into the Sea of Galilee and all the silt and uh, fresh nutrients come in. That's where the fish gather. Simon said, I'm going out to fish. He's back in business now? I don't think so. I'm going out to fish. And they said, we're coming with you. Now again, some are fishermen, others are not. Why did they go with Peter? I think they're all very worried about Peter. Peter is broken-hearted, utterly broken-hearted. They went out, they got into the boat. That night they caught nothing. Did they even try? Did they cast the net over the side? Or was Peter simply sitting in the boat? It's shortly after Passover, so we have not quite a full moon. It's a little bit after the full moon. But the moon comes up over the Golan in the east. And how many times during Jesus' three-year public ministry, when he lived with Peter in Peter's home, how many times had he gone out with them at night while they were fishing and sat in the boat and talked with them and told stories and, or, or simply sat and watched? Remember one occasion he fell asleep. I think Peter is out there in that boat, looking toward the goal on, perhaps seeing the moon, feeling the breeze coming from the west through the Arbel Pass, and thinking about Jesus. Thinking about how, he, how, how Peter had failed so woefully. Thinking about times when they were out in the boat together, when they talked and they laughed and Jesus told stories, or miraculous times, calming the storm on the sea. Peter, trying to walk on the water like Jesus. No, I can see him sitting in that boat, remembering. Remembering the one that Peter loved more deeply than anyone else, and yet had failed him. The other men are there with him. I don't think any of them are saying anything. They're companions. They love Peter. They're with him in his sadness. Well, early in the morning, at dusk, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples didn't realize it was Jesus. Well, there we'll learn about a hundred yards offshore. It's not quite morning yet. The sun comes up over the Golan in the east. But the sky is just getting a, a kind of reddish color, dark to reddish to orange, and then, then the day will break. So they see a figure on the shore. 
and he called out, Friends, have you caught any fish? No, they answered. Again, I don't think they even tried. But he said, throw your net on the right side of the boat. You'll find some. Okay. So they did. And sure enough, they dropped a net on a whole school of fish. There were so many, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Now, when the, the, the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, said to Peter, now it's getting, the sun's just peeking over the Golan, and Jesus is on the west shore of the Sea of Galilee. The boat is about 100 yards offshore. And John looks, and he recognizes Jesus. It's the Lord, he said. Then Simon Peter, as soon as he heard him say that, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he'd taken it off, and jumped in the water. And he's running toward the shore. He desperately wants to embrace Jesus, to say he's sorry. And he's rushing in the water. Now that water, 100 yards off the shore, uh, right up at about 11 o'clock on the Sea of Galilee, I, I've been out there. 100 yards offshore, right where, right where this scene happens. And the water is maybe chest deep. The Sea of Galilee, at the deepest portion toward the center, is about 140 feet. But the shore is very shallow. You go out quite a ways before your feet are no longer touching the bottom. So Peter jumps into the water. He's running toward the shore in the water. And the other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish. We're told here they weren't far, about 100 yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals with fish cooking on it and some bread. Now get that. Peter is running toward the shore, but the boat, the net full of fish dragging in the water, beat Peter to the shore. Well, I know Peter's slow. John told us back in the scene at the tomb that I outran him three times. But, no, he desperately wants to see Jesus. But the closer he gets, the more afraid he is, the more ashamed he is. I, I, I can't do it. Jesus said, bring some of the fish over. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. So Peter's in the boat now, helping to get the net to the shore. He's not on the shore with Jesus. He wanted to be there. He's afraid, ashamed. Jesus said, come have some breakfast. No one dared ask him, who are you? And he knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, he took the bread, gave it to them. Same with the fish. This was the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. The first time in the locked room when Thomas wasn't there. The second time when Thomas was there. And now 
a third time. Although, Paul tells us, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 5, he appeared to Peter first, privately. I wonder what he said. I know you were afraid, Peter. I, I was afraid too in the Garden of Gethsemane. God knows I was terrified. I knew what was coming. I know you were afraid. It's okay. I forgive you. But the problem was never Jesus forgiving Peter. It was Peter forgiving Peter. So now, sitting around the campfire, they're all eating fish and bread. Peter is sitting on the, on the fringe, perhaps out of Jesus' sight. Eating breakfast? No, maybe picking at some fish. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, that's very formal. It's not, it's not Peter, Simon, son of John. Let's go for a walk. So Peter gets up, as does Jesus, and Jesus leads the way, walking north along the shore. As they got a little bit further away so the others couldn't overhear them, he said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? And he gestures back to the guys around the campfire. Do you truly love me more than these? You know, at some point, Peter must have said to him, you know, Lord, you, you, these guys are, these are great guys. James and John, they're, they're partners in the business. and We've been traveling together for, for three years on the road but none of them loves you like I do. Really? Do you truly love me more than these guys? Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Now, it's very important here to look at the Greek words. Do you truly love me? The Greek word is agapeo, the highest form of of love, the love that God has for us and we're to have for God and one another. Agapeo. Phileo is friendship, as in the city of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Eros is erotic love. But here, Jesus uses the word, or John puts into Jesus' mouth, because he's speaking in Aramaic after all, not Greek, but John writes, do you truly love me more than these guys? And he uses acapeo, the highest form of love. And Peter answered, Yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. You know I'm your friend. Well, I, Lord, I failed. I failed at truly loving you, agapeo love. I failed. You know it, and I know it. But you know that I'm your friend. And Jesus pointed back to the guys, feed my lambs, take care of the guys. 
they walked a little further. A little farther along, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, forget the comparison with the others. Do you truly love me? Again, agapeo. No comparison. Just you. Peter answered, yes, Lord. You know I'm your friend, phileo. I failed at that love. You know I'm your friend. And again, Jesus gestured back to the guys, take care of the guys. They go a little bit further. Maybe walking another five, ten minutes. Jesus stopped. He turned and looked directly, directly at Peter. And he said, Simon, son of John, do you phileo me? Are you my friend? Well, Peter is heartbroken. Tears spring to his eyes because Jesus asked him the third time, are you my friend? Doubting even that. And Peter, his voice, voice breaking, said, Lord, you, you know all things. You know I'm your friend. And then Jesus said, feed my sheep, take care of the guys. I tell you, tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. When you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you don't want to go. Like Jesus, Peter will be crucified during the persecutions under Nero in A.D. 64 to 68. And tradition holds that he was crucified upside down as out of mockery. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death Peter would, would have. And then he said, follow me. In other words, I know, Peter, I know you failed at the kind of love you proclaimed you had for me. You failed, all right. Everyone, everyone fails, everyone falls short. Every one of these other guys, they all ran away, except for John. I questioned Agapeo because it was important that you face the reality that you weren't able to love in that way. But I don't question your friendship. That's enough for now. Let's start there. Let's start over. And we'll build from phileo up to agapeo. When Peter writes his first epistle sometime in the early 60s. He says, love one another deeply from the heart. 
And Peter uses the word agapeo in 1 Peter chapter 1 at verse 22. Now that you have been purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have authentic, sincere love for your brothers, agapeo, love one another, agapeo, deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. I just love that in 1 Peter, because Peter now knows, Peter now feels in the very depths of his heart that agapeo love that Jesus called him to. He feels it for the others. This is brilliant on Jesus' part. Jesus knew that, that Peter was a broken man. Peter, and I think the others were worried about him. After all, we have the example of Judas, who in despair went off and hanged himself. Why did the other guys go out with Peter in the boat? I, I think they're worried about him. I'm not saying that Peter would have gone out and hung himself, but he's certainly in the depths of despair. How can Jesus fix it? How can Jesus bring Peter back? By this confrontation. By forcing Peter to look in the mirror of reality. Recognizing it for what it is. And starting there. And rebuilding. This is brilliant psychology on Jesus' part. And sure enough, you know, in the end, in 2 Peter... And Peter is in prison in Rome, and Peter will be crucified. He's sitting in the Mamertine prison on death row. And he writes in 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 12, So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body because I know I'll soon be putting it aside. My, my death sentence has been pronounced. There's no getting out of it. My Lord Jesus made it clear to me. So while I'm still walking around in this body, I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. These things, these critically important things, number one of which is, we, the apostles, did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on that sacred mountain. That's the Mount of Transfiguration. Remember, Jesus took Peter and the others up to Caesarea Philippi and said, who do people say I am? And Peter answered on behalf of the group, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. 
And Jesus said that's correct. And they moved from there to the Mount of Transfiguration, where God the Father, in the presence of two credible witnesses, Moses and Elijah, and you can't get more credible than that, validates Peter's confession of faith right there on that mountain. And here's Peter, 30-some years later, sitting on death row. He never forgot that. We were eyewitnesses. We didn't make this stuff up. We were there. And I think now, 2,000 years later, we can read 2 Peter and we can hold on to that and know, and know with certainty that Jesus was indeed raised from the dead, that our salvation has been enabled. He redeemed us, not by his teaching, but by his shed blood on the cross. He took our sin upon himself, and he paid the penalty for that sin before holy and righteous God. And I've said before that when I get to heaven and I stand and I look at him and I see the nail marks and, and the spear wound in his side, I look into his eyes. I can be there for a million years and never begin to fathom the depth and the blackness that he went through, the depth and the blackness of the water he went through to bring me and you to that place where we stand before him, redeemed. What a story. And Peter plays such an important part in it. So now Peter has been reinstated. And what's he going to do with it? Well, we shall see. So thank you, and I'll be back with you. Bye-bye now.